Thank you for downloading this sermon from Holy Trinity Reformed Church. If you live in the vicinity of Mooresville, Indiana, come join us as we rebuild Christ's Holy Church out of the ash heaps of American fundamentalism and evangelicalism through repentance, revival, and reformation. If you would like more information about Holy Trinity Reformed Church, or if you do not live in our area but would like to support this ministry, please visit our website at reformedholytrinity.org. You're going to be surprised to hear this come out of my mouth. Turn to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse number 1. I suppose we'll probably read down through verse number 8. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. Things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel and to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, He is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the word of the Lord, and it is eternally true. And as I have attempted to juggle various things here at the end of 2023 in our failed attempt, or I should say my failed attempt, (laughs) to address the things that you need to know in 2023, and we never even came close to uh, getting to some of the things that we wanted to get to, but as we were addressing the things that you need to know in 2023 in preparation for 2024, because usually... We just go verse by verse through different books, but we've kind of been hitting on topics more so throughout this year. But I have decided to start a series that will take us through the rest of the year and also into 2024. Of course, we'll be taking some breaks for Advent and Christmas. Uh, So this series will be a transitional series. Uh, from 2023 to 2024. And if we stop at the end of chapter 3, it'll basically be an exposition of Revelation chapters 1 through 3. If we decide to keep going any further, uh, we'll make that decision later. But I think that these are things here in the first three chapters that are very important for us to know as we begin to wind down 2023 
in the cultural situation that we are experiencing and all the contexts of things that are going on throughout the world and also in relation to the vast deconstruction and decline of the West, as we consider these things, there are some things here that's important for us to know. That is, if the Lord is gracious, to let us see the new year. And uh, uh, so uh, we don't know what tomorrow holds for each and every one of us, but that is our plan and our goal, if the Lord wills. So I usually steer clear of the book of Revelation uh, for a lot of reasons, and and not because it is not important, and certainly not because it isn't the word of God, It is the inspired word of God. But due to my own inadequacies, due to all the controversies, and due to all the divisions and things that people want to divide over, uh, it's usually something that I do not uh, focus a lot of time towards in public preaching. However, this is where my heart and mind is currently, or at least in the first three chapters of this book, as Jesus deals with seven first century churches in Asia. And let me repeat, he is dealing with seven first century churches in Asia. So, ladies and gentlemen and brothers and sisters, it is with great joy and anticipation that uh, we look here in the book of Revelation. I mean, that's usually how it's going to start off in modern Christianity. You know, it's going to be this excitement and sensationalism. Ooh, the book of Revelation. And, uh, but uh, anyway, so I say that kind of a little jokingly, but we are going to explore some of the timeless messages that are contained here, especially in these messages to the seven churches of Asia. Now, the book of Revelation is attributed to the Apostle John. It's whom we believe was the writer of it because that's who he identifies himself as. And it's often described as one of the most challenging books in the Bible. And there's been a lot of craziness that has came forth out of Christianity in dealing with the book of Revelation. It has vivid symbolism and apocalyptic language and prophetic visions and it has intrigued a lot of people and it has perplexed a lot of people throughout the centuries yet amidst all of the complexities uh, complexities and differences of opinion revelation the book of revelation contains messages of hope encouragement correction and promises of blessings for those who seek to understand its words In these first three chapters, we uh, encounter, and this is very important, in these first three chapters of the book of Revelation, we encounter the risen Christ. Not the Christ that came in a manger, but the risen Christ. And this is very significant and very important. So we encounter the risen Christ and we receive letters to the seven churches and witness the call to faithfulness in a world of challenges and trials in their day. The first century was no joke. It was a time of utter darkness. And it is here that we find Christ's personal messages to the churches in Ephesus, 
Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So these messages address not only the historical context of the early church, but also the timeless principles that apply to our lives today. So as we journey through, at the very minimum, these first three chapters, it's going to be a voyage of discovery, of faith, and of reflection, and also of examination and correction. It will be an exploration of enduring love, grace, and the sovereignty of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we begin to unveil these things, or actually just to look at the written unveiling of these things that is contained in these chapters, we will learn how they can impact our personal walks with God and also our collective life as the church as we are commissioned to go into this world. It doesn't matter what age we live in. It doesn't matter what time. The church has been commissioned to make disciples of all nations and to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then to teach those discipled nations to be obedient to Christ in all things. That is our work. It was the work in the first century. Uh, were the nations discipled and following Christ in the first century when the church first began? No! So we can't complain about the darkness and the challenges and the obstacles that we have today. We just need to be about our Father's business. So we're going to begin looking at these seven churches. And it kind of goes along with some of the things that we've been doing. Remember, we looked at the Corinthian church and we looked at the Galatian church, and now we're looking, we're going to look here at these seven churches in Asia. So I hope that we will come with open hearts and minds, ready to receive the timeless truths that Revelation has to offer. So in the words of Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it, and take it to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Maybe, may we be among the blessed as we immerse ourselves into the timeless truths that are revealed here in Christ. And together let's seek to understand, apply, and live out these truths, the messages that are contained uh, to these churches. And understand that they are relevant for us today. But there are some misunderstandings before we get started and get to the seven churches. There are some common misunderstandings that we need to address when it comes to the book of Revelation. Or we're going to miss everything completely and entirely. And I don't care if you're a premillennialist or a postmillennialist or an all-millennialist. I'm going to be speaking from a position that historically all three of them basically held. But there are some common misunderstandings when it comes to the book of Revelation. And so we need to address them here this morning so that way when we get to the messages to these seven churches that we won't be distracted and that we won't 
uh, have misunderstandings to cause us to miss uh, what is being said to these churches in the first century. First of all, the first misunderstanding is the apocalypse. Uh, the book, this book, the book of Revelation, um, has commonly been given the title, The Revelation of St. John the Divine, in many publications. Uh, who has that in your Bible? All right, several of you. Um, who has something different? What does yours say? Okay, anyone else have something different than that? Uh-oh. Oh, wow. Okay, that's a little different. So there are various different uh, titles that have been ascribed to this book. Obviously, first of all, the book of Revelation. That's common. But sometimes it'll say the Revelation of John, the Revelation to John, the Revelation of St. John the Divine, uh, many different things like that. And, of course, even that title, the Revelation of John or to John or the Revelation of St. John the Divine, uh, those are good and appropriate titles. There's nothing wrong with them. They are true, and they are stating something that is factually true. But the best title is actually found right in the beginning of the text of Holy Writ, which says, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what this book is about. It is not about anything else. It is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Greek word that is uh, translated here as revelation in most of our uh, versions of the Bible is actually apocalypse. Now, in the Greek, it's actually apocalypsis or something like that. But, um, but it's apocalypse, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. Think of that for a second. The apocalypse of Jesus Christ. Now, the word carries this meaning. So it's used 18 times in the New Testament. 12 times it is translated as revelation in the King James. It's, revelation as, it's, it's translated as to be revealed twice, to lighten, with a whole lot of combinations. And then manifestation coming and appearing. It has to do with a disclosure of truth, instruction. It has to do with things that are unknown. It has to do with manifestation and appearance. The word is defined in, a, is defined in the Greek lexicon as revelation or unveiling. The revelation of Jesus Christ, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. And we're talking about the risen Christ. So what we have here, especially, is a particular spiritual manifestation of Christ, of his will, previously unknown to the extent because it was veiled or covered, but here it is being revealed. Because this is the risen Christ. Now all these things are true. All those different definitions are true. This is the revelation of the risen Christ. It is the appearing of the risen Christ. It is the coming or appearing of the risen Christ. It is the disclosure and instruction of the risen Christ. It is the unveiling of the risen Christ. It is the spiritual manifestation of the risen Christ. This is what the word revelation is what the word apocalypse means. 
Now, unfortunately, many understand this word as meaning the end of the world, which it does not mean. It's being used in that context, but it does not mean the end of the world. It means the unveiling, the revelation. And it's an unveiling and a revelation of what or of whom? Of Jesus Christ. And when you get to the end, there's new heavens, there's new earths, and a new earth, and Jesus is ruling over all of them. It's not about the destruction of the world or the end of the world. It's about the reordering, the recreation of the world under Jesus Christ. So, unfortunately, this book has become something about sensationalism, especially in relation to the end of the world, or we associate it with catastrophic events and doomsday scenarios, right? Which it does contain, the book of Revelation does contain catastrophic events and doomsday scenarios for the wicked, right? Jesus Christ is revealed through the book of Revelation and and who wins? Jesus, right? I mean, that's just historical Christian thought. I don't care what church, historically, you came from or what eschatological position you take. All the historical churches and eschatological positions believe that Jesus Christ wins. So, for the Christian, this is not catastrophic. And doomsday, it is the revelation and the unveiling of the risen Christ who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And yet, in revealing the risen Christ, it is also a prophetic book to reveal what must shortly take place in respect to John's and the first century time frame. It does not say what must shortly take place from a future perspective, but what must shortly take place or what must shortly begin or be unveiled in John's perspective. Has anyone ever seen an unveiling? I don't know what, I don't know what it's called because, um, well, for a lot of reasons. But anyway, is unboxing, is that what that new thing is? Unboxing, where, you know, they, they get on live streaming thing on their phone or their iPad and they have some new gadget they ordered or something like that, and they're going to have the unboxing. Is that what it's called? But anyway, they unbox it, and they go through. I mean, they get it, and they're showing you the box, and then the next thing you know, finally they get the... They finally... Uh, get the their knife out, and they cut the box open, and then finally the gadget comes out, and then you have to pull all the styrofoam off around it, and then they start explaining what it is, how it works, and then they plug it in, whatever it is, and they do what they do. An unveiling. An unveiling is something that usually is anticipated, and then it is slowly revealed, right? There's a process to it. It's an unveiling. And so, this is what biblical prophecy here, at least in the book of Revelation, consists of. It is the revelation of the unknown. It is being unveiled and revealed. 
And this is what we find in Daniel chapter 2. But there is a God in heaven that reveals secrets. In Amos chapter 3 and verse 7, Surely the Lord will do nothing, but he reveals his secret unto his servants, the prophets. Romans 16, 25. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery. Galatians 1, 12. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 3. Held that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. And here in this book, the book of Revelation, the timing of this revelation is clearly in the beginning and the end of the book. Paul's constantly talking about the unveiling of Revelation. And so here we find this revelation is clearly revealed in the beginning and end of the book. In Revelation chapter 1 verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And therefore, because it was to shortly take place, he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. Revelation 22, 6, and he said to me, these sayings are faithful and true and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Revelation 22.10 And he saith to me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Unlike Daniel, where it was to be sealed. Because it was to come at a later, long date. So this unveiling or spiritual manifestation of the risen Christ is to begin to be unveiled shortly after its delivery from the perspective of the Apostle John in the first century audience. Secondly, it is a divine revelation. The book of Revelation is undoubtedly, remember we're talking about some misconceptions that we need to clear up as we move along here. And the second thing is, is that the book of Revelation is of divine origin. It is the inspired word of God, and therefore it is to be treated like the word of God, not some jigsaw puzzle, not some kind of secret code, but it is to be treated like the word of God. And what God has revealed and made known, that's what we are to receive, and the things that God has not revealed and made known are to remain with him. So this is not to be a private interpretation. You see, the origins of the book of Revelation are not of human design, but it is a direct message from God to his people. Just like Peter says, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So this divine message was entrusted to Jesus Christ, as we see, In verse number uh, 1 and 2, it was entrusted to Jesus Christ, who in turn conveyed it by his angel to his faithful servant, the Apostle John. And the book then opens with a clear statement regarding its source and purpose, emphasizing its divine origin. 
here we find a powerful declaration of the book's divine nature. It begins with the revelation of Jesus Christ, indicating that this book is ultimately about Christ and his divine plan. It is not merely the product of human imagination or speculation. Instead, it is a revelation that originates from God. It's entrusted to Christ, who in his mercy and wisdom reveals it to his servants. John, as a faithful servant and apostle of Christ, is the chosen recipient of this revelation. And this underscores the significance of the message as it was given to someone who had walked closely with Jesus during his earthly ministry and who was well equipped to comprehend and convey the truths contained within. Throughout the book of Revelation, we witness how this divine message unflows or unfolds. And the unveiling of a panoramic view of both the past, the present, and the future. And as we look deeper into the book of Revelation, we discover profound truths and prophecies and spiritual guidance that this revelation holds for us. So it's essential to, for us to approach the book of Revelation with a deep sense of reverence and humility, recognizing its divine origin and purpose. It is the word of God and it is eternally true. So as we continue exploring this book, we have to remain open to the wisdom and guidance that it provides instead of looking for all the sensationalism that many people try to squeeze out of it. And we are told to be careful of those things. Paul warns Timothy about it about the importance of continuing in the word because it is the only thing that is profitable. And so we realize that this is the word of God and therefore we should approach it that way. Jesus said in his uh, priestly prayer in John 17, sanctify my disciples in the truth, your word is truth. Therefore, look at verse number three, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. Third, the third misunderstanding that we need to clear up is that this book is written to the seven churches which are in Asia. Now, The seven churches which are in Asia is a very important aspect of the book of Revelation because they were the recipients, the original audience, the original recipients of John's messages. Now these seven churches situated in the region of Asia Minor, which is now modern day Turkey, were not merely symbolic constructs or theoretical congregations. They were tangible, real community of believers who lived and worshipped during John's time. Their existence during the first century is a critical historical and geographical context for interpreting the book of Revelation. Revelation 1 verse 4 illuminates this connection. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. This simple greeting by John provides a clear indication that these churches were the intended audience of the book. 
Now, John's heartfelt salutation signifies that he had a direct personal relationship with these Christian communities and that he understood their unique challenges, strengths, and circumstances. And so by acknowledging the seven churches in Asia, John both recognizes and emphasizes that their spiritual journeys, uh, he recognizes their spiritual journey and then therefore seeks to offer them guidance, encouragement, and correction as guided by Christ himself. So the fact that John conveys greetings of grace and peace from Christ underscores the importance of his message as it pertains to their specific situations. Now, we can apply it to us today, too. Why? Because nothing changes, right? There's nothing new under the sun. And so their situations are similar to situations throughout history. And so, but they were specifically to them. This book was written specifically to them in their day and time. Notice fourth that the greeting from Jesus Christ. Because the book of Revelation is the word of Christ, not only does John greet them in his own name, but he greets them in the name of Jesus Christ. Now it's one thing, I mean you think about it, but this shows the divine aspect of the word of God. He says, you know, he he identifies himself, John, to the seven churches, but he also goes on to say, and from, as he as he uh, uh, confers grace and peace upon them. And he says in verse 5, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So you notice this greeting has some real significance about this risen Christ. Now, The risen Christ tells his disciples right before he ascends to the right hand of the Father. He tells them all power and all authority has been granted unto me in heaven and on earth. This is different than the incarnation of Christ coming in the flesh who came to live a perfect and sinless life in order to be a perfect sacrifice for our sins. And so he came, he died, and he was buried. But when he rose again, the Bible says that he is now exalted. Peter says he has been made both Lord and Christ. Peter says that he has taken the throne of David. And John here says, that he is now the ruler over the kings of the earth. Notice this greeting is from the risen Christ, who is now the exalted Christ, who is seated at the right hand of God, to whom all power and authority has been granted in heaven and on earth. This is the revelation of King Jesus. This is the unveiling of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Revelation 7.14 says, These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, and those who are with Him are called chosen and faithful. Revelation 19 and verse 16, And He has on His robe and on His thigh a name written, 
King of kings and Lord of lords. The book of Revelation is the revealing and manifestation of the King of kings and the Lord of lords whose dominion is an everlasting dominion just as Daniel prophesied. And then fifth, Let's notice the promise of his coming. Verse number 7. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Now, a couple of weeks ago at our evening prayer service, we were discussing some of this. It is relevant uh, for this morning, of course, we can't rehash everything, but he was talking about Matthew chapter 24 and 25. And the three questions that the disciples asked Jesus, and then Jesus goes on from there to re- unveil, to reveal the answers to the three questions. Okay? So here is what we have going on as well, this unveiling in the book of Revelation and so in verse 7, it says, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. And one of the things we talked about was the various comings of Jesus Christ. For instance, there are various Old Testament comings of Christ, a prefigure of the incarnation of Christ, as when the angel of the Lord, Jehovah himself, met with Abraham. And so we have these various types of comings, either physical comings, spiritual comings. And then we have, of course, the first advent when he came in the flesh. But we are also told that there would be future comings of Jesus into the heart of the believers. We were told that he would never leave us nor forsake us. His coming, his presence, his manifestation, his appearance are numerous. Then, of course, we have the second advent, which is at the end of history, the consummation of all things. And those are the principal two comings, right? The first and the second coming. But we have comings and pillars and clouds and fire. We have comings and presence of the Spirit of God in the heart and lives of believers. We have the spiritual presence of Christ in the Word. We have the spiritual presence of Christ in the sacraments. So I ask, what coming is he talking about here in verse number 7? Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye shall see him. Revelation chapter 14, notice it's not Revelation chapter 22, it's Revelation chapter 14, and verse number 14 it says, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the clouds sat, uh, one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he, sat on the, and he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was, earth was reaped. That is Revelation chapter 14. 
which, by the way, sounds very similar to Matthew chapter 24 and verse 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall the tribes, or, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Or Matthew chapter 26 and verse 64, Jesus said to him, You have said, nevertheless I say to you, hereafter you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Matthew 24, 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. So we see these very similar statements in these unveilings in Matthew 24 and 25 and the book of Revelation. These are things to consider. These are things to think upon and search the scriptures. And then notice, for time's sake, the importance of the time stamps. Don't you always hate it? When that is said, for time's sake, it's like, you know, you're sitting there and you're like, if you really was concerned about time's sake, you would have been shutting it down a long time ago, right? But anyway, for time's sake, uh, let's look at the importance of, there's so much more we could say about all that, but the importance of the time stamp. So we have noticed the significance of the first time stamp, which is that these things must shortly come to pass or shortly be unveiled or manifested because the time of this unveiling was near to John's day. It was near to the day of the seven churches in Asia. But there is also a very important Trinitarian aspect of time here. Look at verse number four. Grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come. See the threefold aspect? Him who is present him who was past, and who is to come future. Look at verse number 8. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is, and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty, another declaration of his deity, by the way, the Almighty. And then look at verse number 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet. This is John speaking about Jesus. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand. By the way, this was a coming of Jesus to John. Right? Mm -hmm. It's a revelation. Just like Paul had a revelation, a coming of Jesus on the road to Damascus. And so he says, when I saw him... I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me and said to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive evermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write these things. Okay, so we've seen that. He's said it several different ways here. Past, present, and future in relation to himself. And then he tells John, write these things which you have seen past and the things which are present and the things which shall take place after. So what did John write about in the book of Revelation? The things that were past, the things that were present, and the things that were to come. It's very important. can't understand the book of Revelation, what's going on if you don't know what's past, present, and future. If you're looking at something that's the past and you're applying it to the future, it's going to be all messed up. If you're looking at something that's the future and you're applying it to the past, it's going to be all messed up. Okay, so what was John to write about? The past, present, and future. 
So the book of Revelation is the apocalypse, the unveiling, the manifestation, the instruction of Jesus Christ to John concerning what was, what is, and what is shortly to come from the perspective of the writer. Notice when speaking of the revelation of Jesus Christ that was near and would shortly begin to be revealed in this revelation of Jesus Christ, of course, continues to this day, which is the reason why we must understand the things that are written in it. Listen to 1 John, or excuse me, listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. Afterward, those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father. When he puts an end to all rule and all power and authority. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under his feet, under him, is expected. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. And that's what the book of Revelation is about. It's the unveiling of that. The resurrection of Christ. His exaltation as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Him putting all enemies under his feet. Him taking possession, complete control of heaven and earth in the consummation of all things. The book of Revelation is the unveiling of the risen and exalted Christ who sits upon the throne as the King of heaven and earth until all things are made subject to him. Revelation is the unveiling of the risen Christ from the first century to the consummation. And it's for a purpose. It's to encourage, exhort, and to instruct us in how to live. First of all, to encourage us to have hope in Christ but to teach and instruct us and exhort us on how to live in this world that Jesus Christ is putting in subjection to himself. And this is what we are told. Blessed is he who reads so that you can understand that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he is going to defeat all the forces of darkness. Blessed is he who reads, and those who hear the words of this prophecy, because it is blessed to know that Jesus Christ will be victorious over all. But notice, then he says, and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Therefore, it's important that we understand that this revelation is of Christ. But it's also important to understand that it is also a revealing of what we should do. 
If Christ is making all his enemies his footstool, then where's your allegiance? If Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, then where is your obedience? Knowing that the risen Christ has been, is being, and shall be revealed as the conquering king, we are told in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 12, here is the patience of the saints. Because there are times where it looks like the dragon's prevailing. There are times where it looks like the beast is prevailing. But if you read this, you know they don't prevail. Jesus Christ prevails over them. And so here is the patience of the saints. We're in this for the long haul. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus Christ. That's what we're to do. Keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus Christ. Throughout this whole time period. Until we reach the consummation of all things. You see, the book of Revelation is not intended for speculation or private interpretation. Its purpose is to reveal the risen Christ in all of his glory, power, and dominion and to instruct us what we should be doing according to the light of Christ. This revelation of Christ should then make us like the sons of Issachar who had an understanding of the times and knew what Israel ought to do. Jesus said, as a certain woman in a crowd raised up her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts which nursed you. But Jesus said, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. It is, and by the way, notice he did not dismiss the aspect of blessed being the womb and the breasts of his mother. He just said more than that, in addition to. You see, it is the very message of the blessed Mary who told the servants in John chapter 2 and verse 5, whatever he says to you, do it. Which, by the way, is what his mother always does. Points to Christ. Whatever he says to you, do it. And that's what the book of Revelation is about. Jesus Christ is exalted. Jesus Christ has been glorified. Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus Christ is supreme over all. He is sovereign over all things. Jesus Christ is going to defeat the dragon. Jesus Christ is going to defeat the beast. Jesus Christ is going to defeat the devil, Satan. And he is going to put all of his enemies under his feet. Therefore, whatever he says to you, do it. Behold, I come quickly, Jesus says in Revelation 22, 7. Blessed is he that keeps the sayings of the prophecy of this book. We will be blessed if we hear these words and keep the things that are written in it. And the first place to start is with Jesus' message to the seven churches of Asia. Viva Cristo Rey.
Long live Christ the King. Father, as you have exalted your Son over heaven and earth, we pray that you would help us to understand the significance, the hope, And may from that, we go forth with courage and boldness, just like in Christ's priestly office, we're to come boldly to your throne of grace, because he is our high priest. And because he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, we are to live boldly in this world. Boldly for truth and righteousness, boldly for light, boldly for the gospel, boldly for the whole counsel of your word. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to live in an understanding that Jesus Christ has overcome the world. The battle has already been won on the cross, and it's just now playing out in human history until it is completed. And Lord, may you help us to have that confidence and that courage to live as ambassadors of Christ, knowing that he will bring the nations in subjection to him, that he will bring the nations into discipleship, and that he will bring the nations into the church, being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that he will bring the nations into obedience to his rule and reign forever and ever. We praise you for this glorious and wonderful truth that Christ will reign and that he will be victorious. And then the earth will be at peace. And we pray for that day. In Christ's name, amen.